I want you to notice in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, it says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, as we look at that passage, and we're, we're actually going to look at quite a few different places today, we want to talk about fear. And uh, let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll get right into it. Father, we do thank you for your word, and we thank you that perfect love casteth out fear. And yet, Lord, we all face different things that bring fear into our life. Lord, some of those things are good, some are bad. But Lord, I pray today that we will have an understanding of uh, the right kind of fear and the wrong kind of fear. And Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit will speak to all of our hearts and we'll give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Fear is a lot of different ways to define fear. Uh, the spirit of fear that's mentioned here in 2 Timothy 1.7 um, speaks of a type of fear that means timidity or being timid, um, fearfulness, or even cowardice. And of course, when Paul was writing this to Timothy, um, Timothy was, it, it appears to be from what Paul is saying here, that he was a timid or a shy person. He was more on the quiet side. So Paul was admonishing him in this last letter that he wrote before his death. Um, he wrote to Timothy encouraging and admonishing him. Now, we all have fears. How many of you, when you were young, were afraid of the dark? How many of you are still afraid of the dark? Now, some of you are liars, too. Okay, so... But um, we all have different fears. I think of the little boy, there was a, it was nighttime, there was a thunderstorm going on, it was dark, and he was in his room and he called his mom in and he says, Mommy, I'm scared. Can you, can you sleep with me here and stay with me? I'm scared. And she says, now, honey, there's nothing to be scared of. You'll be fine. Besides, I have to sleep with Daddy in, in the bedroom, in our room. And, uh, and he thought about that for a while and he... She finally got him calmed down, and then as she was walking away, he said, the big sissy. So, anyways, <laughs> there are degrees of fear. Fear is expressed um, by apprehension. Uh, fear is anxiety or worry. Fear is the expectation of something that's maybe evil or bad that's going to, maybe you're anticipating it happening. Um, fear is, has different degrees. For instance, the word fear expresses appre less apprehension than the word dread. Some of you might be dreading some things. You might be dreading final exams this week. Uh, some, some, uh, another apprehension or another degree of fear uh, beyond dread would be terror or fright. And um, so we can be terrorized sometimes. And uh, we, we've seen that. Um, some people are terrified of the COVID. Uh, other people have maybe handled it differently. 
And we all handle fear differently. Um, another word in the Greek that is used for fear is the word phobi, phobia, or forbearance. It's where we get the word phobia. Um, there, that's what uh, modern psychology uses that term, phobias. It's just another word for fear. Um, in the uh, Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, um, the American Psychiatric Association outlines several of the most common phobias. Maybe some of you suffer from some of these. Um, acrophobia, the fear of heights. That's one of mine. I don't like heights, um, especially if I'm on a ladder or something. That's kind of scary. Um, aerophobia, the fear of flying. Uh, anacra, uh, some of these I'm not even going to be able to pronounce. Uh, arachnophobia, the fear of spiders. Uh, there's the fear of astrophobia, the fear of thunder and lightning. Uh, autophobia, the fear of being alone. We could go on. Uh, hemophobia, the fear of blood. Hydrophobia, the fear of water. And you could go on. Um, there's one, fear of snakes. I think that's a good one. So, um, zoophobia, the fear of animals. Uh, and then there's some unusual phobias that they came up with. For instance, there's one called electrophobia, which means the fear of chickens. Now, talk about being a chicken when you're scared of a chicken. You know, uh, there's, the, there's onomatophobia. That is the fear of names. Now, I don't know if they go around with no name the rest of their life or what, but um, then there's uh, pognophobia, the fear of beards. And some of you, when you have a beard, it's pretty scary, especially the girls. Um, but uh, <laughs> nephophobia, the fear of clouds. I mean, and then here's one, um, cryophobia, the fear of ice or cold. Now, some of you that have come from the warm parts of the country, that's probably a fearful thing. So you have some fear to face in the next few weeks when it gets cold here. But those are some of the weird phobias, and there was dozens of others that I could have named off. Um, but then there's another kind of fear that the Bible defines, and the, the Greek word is eulabia, which means this is a good kind of fear. It's a godly fear. It, it's the idea of caution or circumspection, discretion, avoiding evil or shunning evil. For instance, Proverbs 14, 16 says, A wise man feareth and departeth from evil, but the fool rageth and is confident. Um, it also means a reverence or veneration, a reverence toward God, um, a, a respect and reverence. And by the way, that's one of the problems with America as they've stopped fearing God, and even among Christians. Now, as we look at this, we want to break this down into a couple of categories. The first we want to see is what I call a hellish fear. A hellish fear and this kind of fear is what Satan will use 
to keep us from doing what God wants us to do. Okay, so, so here's some examples. First of all, letter A, this fear leads to wrong decisions. This kind of fear will lead to wrong decisions. Now, 1 Kings chapter 12, um, we find that Jeroboam was given the ten northern tribes of Israel. If you remember, that's when after Solomon's death, Rehoboam had the southern tribes, Jeroboam had the northern tribes. And, and God gave him those ten northern tribes. But Jeroboam had a fear. It says in verse 26 of chapter, 1 Kings 12, it says, And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David if this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem. Then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their, their Lord, even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they shall kill me. And go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Now, because of fear. Now, God's the one who gave him those ten kingdoms. Just like when God calls you to a task, when God calls you to a ministry, when God directs your life, there's nothing to fear because God has given us those things. And he's given us the promises. But Jeroboam feared the result. Now, According to the law, God commanded Israel to go down to Jerusalem three times a year. Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, what he was fearing is that if he allowed the people to go, their hearts would be turned back to Rehoboam, and he would then be ousted and killed. So what did he do? He made a bad decision. In fact, he made a decision that was so bad that it affected the northern kingdom for the rest of the time it existed until in 722 B.C. the Assyrians scattered them among the Gentile nations. Now, what did he do? Well, in 1 Kings 13, verse 4, it says, And it came to pass when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God, which he had cried against the altar at, in Bethel, that he put forth his hand from the altar, saying, Lay hold on him, and his hand, which put forth against him, dried up. Now, he set up two places of worship, Bethel and Dan. And he told the northern tribes, you can go to Bethel or you can go to Dan, and you can worship the Lord there. In fact, he set up golden calves, which is not what God told Israel to do. And so he caused Israel, and, and God sent a prophet to him to warn him. And yet he didn't repent. Um, in 1 Kings 16, 19, it says, For his sins, which he sinned in doing evil in the sight of the Lord, and in walking in the way of Jeroboam, and in his sin, which he did to make Israel to sin. You see, even after that warning, Jeroboam continued to do that practice, and he led not only his generation, but all the kings that followed him. Almost every king went after those idols. 
So here's the thing. We, we should never make a decision based upon that kind of fear. We need to know what God has called us to do and what God wants us to do and then move in that direction. So that's the first thing. Secondly, this fear loses opportunities. Elijah had just had a great victory. He called down fire on Mount Carmel. Um, he, um, he killed the 450 prophets of Baal. And he outran Ahab's chariot down to the valley and the, into the entrance of the gate uh, the, of, of Jezreel, the valley of Jezreel. And all of that, had, he had tremendous victory. And then the next day, it says in 1 Kings 19, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and with all how he had slain the prophets of, with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by the morrow, by tomorrow, about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba. Now, here's a man who just called down fire, who just killed 450 prophets of Baal, and one woman's message to him, I'm going to kill you, sent him running into the desert and into the wilderness. Now, here's the interesting thing. Once he gets to Mount Horeb, which is Mount Sinai, he's, he's there, and God begins to work in his heart. God begins to minister to him. And two times, God asked Elijah this question. What doest thou here, Elijah? And of course, it sounds real spiritual. Well, Lord, I'm the only one that hasn't bowed down to Baal, and I'm, I'm your prophet, and they're now trying to kill me. And of course, you know, the Lord eventually said, there are 7,000 that haven't bowed their knee to Baal in Israel. Now, what, what caused him to flee? Well, he was probably tired. He was physically worn out. But all of that brought about a fear that he shouldn't have had. I mean, it's kind of funny because when you read, when he gets to the juniper tree and he sits down there, he starts to pitch a pity party, and he, he says, Lord, I'm no better than my father's. Just kill me. Well, he didn't want to be killed because if that's the case, then he should have stayed back there. Jezebel would have taken care of it. But fear moved him. Now, What's sad is that here was the opportunity for Elijah to help bring in a revival to the northern kingdom. But because of fear, he fled and he lost the opportunity. And so there's times, like for instance, God may be working on your heart this semester. And he wants you to go to the mission field or he wants you to... He wants you to be a pastor, or he wants you to be a pastor's wife, or wants you to be in Christian education. And, and you know what? Sometimes, because of fear, we reject the call of God. Now, let me tell you something. When God calls, God enables. When God gives you something, don't you think if he's directed you to do that, and he's called you to do that, he's going to be there right with you. He said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. 
So we see lost opportunities. Now, the third thing is this. Not only fear this, wrong, this fear leads to wrong decisions and lost opportunities, this fear halts the blessings for God's people. Numbers chapter 14. Actually, chapter 13. In Numbers chapter 13, the children of Israel, they have now left uh, Egypt. The, 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 the crossing of the Red Sea is now in the past. And they come to uh, Kadesh Barnea. And God is ready to let them go into the land. But he sends 12 spies in first. And they're in there for 40 days. And they come back. And they start to give the report. And in, in Numbers chapter 13, verse 25, it says, And they returned from searching of the land after 40 days. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel unto the wilderness of Paran, to Kadesh, and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And boy, they showed them the fruit and they said, It's a land of milk and honey. And, and they went on. But then they give the negative. Nevertheless, verse 28, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the, and the cities are walled and very great. Moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. Children of Anak were the giants. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea. And by the coast of Jordan. Verse 30, though, it says, And Caleb stilled the people before Moses, and he said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. Now, this kind of fear eliminates faith. They were looking at the circumstances. They were looking at uh, insurmountable uh, task of conquering all these peoples that in their eyes were giants and they were uh, well fortified and they forgot who their God was. And so they missed the great blessing that God had for his people. And if you read on in, in, the, in the events there and so forth, you'll find that God, find, God, in fact, God was going to wipe them all out and says, Moses, I'll just make a new nation from you and kill all these. And, of course, Moses uh, appealed to the Lord, and, and the Lord um, then decided, no, we're not going to do that. But he says, this generation will never see the promised land except for Caleb and Joshua, because they were the only two that believed and wanted to go in. But the rest of that generation, you read the accounts, it's a sad account. They all died in the wilderness. They missed the blessing. And that's what happens with that kind of fear. And then the last thing we see is we see the, the, the lack or that fear, this kind of fear stops us from trusting God. Now you look at 1 Samuel chapter 17. 
And uh, verses, verse 9 there, it says, now if you remember 1 Samuel 17, uh, the Philistines have set up on one side of the valley of Elah, and the Israelites have set up on the other side, and they're going to go to war, but the Philistines send out their champion, Goliath. And listen to what it says in verse 9. It says, if he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants. This is Goliath talking. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard the, those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. They were terrified. That might be the word there. They were terrified. They were so afraid. In fact, they, they were at stalemate for 40 days. Nobody was willing to go out and fight Goliath. And then about 40 days into this, little David shows up. Probably at that time he was about maybe 16, 17, maybe 18 years old. They couldn't join the army until they were 20. So he, he, he's, he shows up. And, and he gets there just as Goliath comes out and challenges him. And, and he sees and he hears how he defies the armies of Israel. And David said, is somebody going to go out there and shut him up? And they said, didn't you see how big he was? He says, look, I'll go fight him. Now, was David cocky and just, you know, self-confident? No. He had a faith and a trust in the Lord. He had, he, the Lord had proven himself to him. He killed a lion and a bear. That took courage. And God protected him. He says, look, if, if God can protect me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, then this uncircumcised Philistine, he's nothing. And he went out and won the victory. Why? Because he believed God. The others cowered. Um, reminds me of the story of the two shoe, shoe salesmen. One shoe salesman was sent to a country where they were going to sell shoes, and, and he, he telegraphed back, and he says, can't sell any shoes here. Everybody goes barefoot. So they send another salesman. That salesman gets there. He telegraphs back, and he says, look, send more shoes. Nobody here has shoes. That's how David saw it, because David saw it through the eyes of faith. But when you look through the eyes of fear, that hellish fear, you will not do great things for what God has for your life. Now, let's look at the right kind of fear, what I call the revel, revel, reverential fear. First of all, that is a reverence for God's holiness and person. Proverbs 9 and verse 10 says this, <clears throat> The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. And the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Look, the reason that we have fear sometimes is because we're not looking at our God. 
We're not looking at who he is and what great powers and attributes he has, but we're looking at the circumstances. In all these cases that we saw, that those that had the wrong fear, they were looking at the circumstances, not at their God. Proverbs 9.10, same thing. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Twice in, in the book of Proverbs, it says that. It also says in Proverbs 10.27, The fear of the Lord prolongeth days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. Why are the years of the wicked shortened? Because they don't fear God, and they go on in their sin, and eventually that sin may destroy their life and take it prematurely. Proverbs 14, 26 and 27. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. Now let me say this. When you understand who your God is, you understand he's a God of holiness, a God of righteousness, a God of justice. He's a God of love, a God of mercy. He's an omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent God. When we got our focus on him, the fears will dissipate. Now, you, you say, well, do you think David was scared when he went out there that day? Yeah, there may have been some fear there. There may have been some apprehension, you know. But that's where courage comes in. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is going beyond your fear and rejecting your fear to do what's right. And God, notice what it says here. It says back in this verse again. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. When, you're, when your fear and your, re and your respect and your understanding of God is correct, then it'll give you confidence in what he's called you to do. See, the problem is a lot of Christians today try to bring God down to their level. No, we need to go up to his level. We need to see him for who he is. And as a result of that, we need to keep in mind this. Look at that last verse. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you got saved because you were scared about going to the lake of fire? Man, I was scared to death. That's the right kind of fear. To realize that God is a judge and he's righteous and he's holy and as a result of that <laughs> he's going to bring judgment there's an accountability of all mankind to one day stand before god and be judged and it says and the books will be open now praise the lord if you're saved today because you have life eternal it started with the right kind of fear the fear of God's judgment. In fact, that's why he gave us the commandments. He gave us the Ten Commandments because he said, look, you can't keep these, you're going to die. And it tells us in Romans chapter 3 that the knowledge of the law 
is what the purpose of it was for. It wasn't to save us. No man can be justified by his works, by the law. But it's the knowledge of sin. Now, so we see that. Then we see the respect for God's person. Respect and reverence for God. Now, I understand. God loves us. And when he saved us, he, he ministers to us through his mercy and his grace. But he also says, be ye holy for what? For I am holy. There's a balance there between the two. That brings us then to the last part, and that's this, walking in faith. The opposite of the wrong kind of fear is walking in faith, because when you have the right kind of fear and you understand who your God is, then you will have faith, and your faith is built upon the truth of God's word. The opposite of fear is trust. Psalm 37 Verse 1, fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. That word fret means what? Don't worry. Don't be anxious. Don't be worried. Don't fret. That's a good word they use down in the south. Fret means to be scared. He says, don't fret or don't worry because evildoers seem to be prospering. By the way, you can look around our country today and you can say, man, there's a lot of evil and there's a lot of evildoers and they seem to be prospering. Oh no, the Bible says they'll be cut down like the grass. Now look what he says. In, 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 in place of our fear and our worry, he says, look at verse 2, he says, For they soon shall be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb, and he says, trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And then verse 7 says this, rest in the Lord. I love that verse. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently. That word rest means to lean on, to, to recline on. God says, lean on me. When we sing that song, leaning on the everlasting arms, it comes from here, Psalm 37, 7. Lean on him, rest in God. When you put your faith and your rest and your trust and you commit all those things to him, God says he's going to bring it to pass. Look, God's not, going to, not, God's not going to chasten us or ignore us if we are appropriating faith. Hebrews says that without faith, it's impossible to please him. So if we're exercising faith, that's going to please God. Now, the second, th the, the, the second thing here we want to see is trust God's love. I love 1 John 4, 18 and 19. It says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. Look, <clears throat> when you got saved, God gave you eternal security. He gave you assurance of salvation. 
And so we have nothing to fear as far as our sin now because Christ paid for it. Romans 8, 1, there's therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. Man, I don't know about you, but that gives me confidence. Look, if I, if I was always wondering, am I saved today? Am I not saved? Why would I be motivated to go serve the Lord? Because I'm worried about my own salvation. But God says, hey, I've taken care of that. You, it's settled. You're secure. And perfect love casteth out fear. Now, there's a type of fear that is related in, in, a, in a relationship between a child and a parent. Now, you know, sometimes people say, well, you know, man, when my dad's around, I have to, I have to straighten up. But, you know, sometimes it's not a fear of his wrath but it may be a fear of disappointing. I think we could all look back and say, there's times when I've disappointed my parents. And that, man, that tears you up. And, and so there's that kind of a fear, but it's a fear that's centered around love. I'm fearful that I'll let my, my Lord down because he loves me. It's a different kind of love and a different kind of fear. And then... The second thing is this, trust God's promises. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. I love these verses. And if you haven't memorized them or put them to memory, these are great verses. Now this is in the salutation, and he says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Then look at verses 3 and 4. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Now look at the next part. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. That by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. You know what those verses say? God's given you promises of a guaranteed victorious Christian life when you're trusting him and believing in the promises and living in his love, that is guaranteeing victory. Now, that doesn't mean we won't go through trials and tribulations and problems. But what it does mean is that God's going with us. And he's given us everything we need to accomplish his work and to walk with him. Now, as we look at that this morning, I've got two questions I want to close with. The first question is this. Which kind of fear are you living in? Are you living in a fear that is taking you away from your faith and trust in God? Are you living in a hellish fear that keeps you in bondage? Or does your fear draw you to Christ? 
Does it, does it draw you to the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it drawing you closer to him? Or is it driving you away? I hope it's drawing you to him.